Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I have Horace on the show to talk about the news that Segway has ended the production of its personal transporter, the original Segway, and the new announcements from Apple and how they pertain to micromobility. Before I do that, I wanted to trial a sort of short news segment on the beginning of each show. We've done this in the past and we didn't get much feedback on it, so we stopped doing it. I'm keen to try it again. If you love it or hate it, let me know, especially if there's stuff in there that could be improved. My DMs are open on Twitter. So there's a couple of big highlights this week. Uh, big one is that the UK has about 17 companies and about 30 cities who have expressed interest in participating in the UK's upcoming scooter trial. Disappointingly, they've decided to use scooter guidelines that require riders to have a driver's license. The UK is a very dense built environment and the cities are really well suited to micro. So it's kind of frustrating to see how they've gone with that regime and what has very high barriers to entry. I'm working on getting a guest in from the UK to talk about how that's playing out at the moment. The trip numbers as well are back to pre-pandemic levels in Paris for scooters and bikes. And we're seeing transit ridership numbers here in New Zealand return to normal as well, less than a month or so after lockdown has ended. There's really an open question about how long and lasting these behavioural changes that COVID had incurred will actually last. We'll be keeping an eye on it as well. Finally, Madrid will now subsidise the purchase of electric scooters, bicycles and mopeds and motorcycles up to €750 as it, like many cities in Europe, encourage the use of micromobility as the predominant form of transport for its citizens. If you like the latest news, check out the newsletter that we write at micromobility.io. Luke, our editor and conference lead, is an utter master at finding the best and latest, and we have a job board as well for jobs in the space. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Anyhow, as I said, let me know what you think. Otherwise, here's Horace. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. Uh, Horace, uh, uh, still stuck in Boston, eh? Yes, well, it's uh, it's a difficult situation. Uh, Europe is not yet opened up. Uh, it's, they said July 1st, but even then, there's uh, it's possible that uh, my flight might might not get, because U.S. visitors might be barred. Um, yeah. That decision has not been made, but it looks like they will be. Uh, but then I don't know if I'm still permitted to go, because I, I technically I'm, 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 a, I'm a resident of Europe. So Interesting. I feel like uh, at this stage, you just need to hire a boat and become Horus the pirate who secretly sneaks into <laughs> Europe, you know? <laughs> well, there are people who sail, let's put it that way. I think that this this is this is avoidable. Uh, the U.S. is seeing a rise in cases, and that was not, you know, it was like we were looking at it, you know, with all the data and everything, and as you know, and I've been tracking it, I kind of stopped like two weeks ago because it felt like it was over. Um yeah. But <laughs> but um, not. Yeah. it did not uh, go according to my expectations. Some countries did okay, but mm. some countries didn't, and some states did okay, and some states didn't. So it's 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 down to you know 
the weakest link, as they say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, totally. so uh, we're we're in that dilemma right now. Mm. Well, look, I um, I wanted to cover off two things today. Uh, one was uh, the, so Segway just yesterday announced that they were going to end production of the Segway PT, the personal transporter, the the original design and what it's uh, evolved to become. So I wanted to discuss that as a as an idea. And the other thing as well is that we've just had WWDC and uh, Apple announced a lot of new developments that were sure. know, pertain to and related to micromobility. So I thought we could cover off those two things. But maybe if we start with Segway, in some ways we've talked about it in the past, but I wanted to get your sense of how should we think about this? Is it anything more than, um, uh, you know, hey, they were too early? Let me put it this way. I think that when I, f- when I first heard of this segue, and it, it was quite something. I mean, many people saying that was high, highly hyped up, but it was really a product that promised to change the world but it didn't, and the promise it 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 gave at that time, early two thousands, was very similar. I think two thousand one or so was it um, when it launched mm-hmm. was very similar to the promise of micromobility today. I remember reading how people thought that it would change the infrastructures of the of you know uh, the fact that it would rec- you know create new new lanes for for itself basically because it didn't mm-hmm. fit on the sidewalk and it didn't fit on the street now it wasn't mm-hmm. really adequate for bike lanes even because it was a bit slow for them and and it wasn't it was like not compatible or conformable with the existing world and and yet what it tried to do was exactly what we promise micromobility can do which is deliver on the short distances probably that's what influenced the thinking of the of the innovator or the inventor. Um, the, the the thing is that when I was reading about it, I didn't get, I was excited, but it didn't make an impression on me like the way micromobility did 20 years later. And yeah. the reason was, I think, um, I think it just didn't have that service element to it. And it was a high-end product that didn't feel in any way like it was going to be able to come down and be ubiquitous because of yeah. the engineering associated with it. It was it was it was an idea that was that was um, um, let's say uh, over-engineered, and the idea of you know you have to you have a, the wheels in in um, in parallel, not not in tandem. And mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you had to have gyroscopic balancing. Of course, we had the hoverboard come after it as a more consumerized version, but it, that too, didn't quite make sense for, except for for kind of a fun toy. So the yeah. the logic of it all was was like in general, the idea of micro, you know, micro vehicles was was a sound idea, but it didn't execute on and iterate on it sufficiently so in many ways it's sort of the granddaddy or great granddaddy what we have today it it um it it used electric motors it it used batteries that were at the time uh innovative and and it put together a package which you know moved the person for with a lot less cost and weight and 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 wasted um uh, you know wasted overhead 
of the vehicle itself. So in some ways, it's very it's sort of nostalgic for me. Most people who follow this stuff wrote it off more than 10 years ago. It, it was pretty clear yeah. early on that it wasn't going to change the world because it didn't have the necessary cost structure and infrastructure that that ended up being, you know, what we have more of today. So the, it was the e-bike to me that was much more, when I saw the e-bike, I was much more excited. The the Then there came the scooter. And, and since then, we've had a lot of a lot of configurations, everything from boosted boards, everything, you know, mono wheels, and a lot of innovation putting together roughly the same pieces that were available, but bringing the cost down, reconfiguring them so that they're more compatible with the existing infrastructure, and fundamentally putting them out as a service. I think that that ability to say, well, I don't want to have to worry about having it with me whenever I need it, uh, that, yeah. that 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 changes that changes everything. So I think one of the this brings back one of the tenets of micromobility is that there was micromobility was never invented. It wasn't something that somebody said we need to go to the laboratory here, spend a lot of R and D dollars, and then you know have a eureka moment where we're going to unveil micromobility. The same way perhaps the people spending countless billions trying to unveil and launch autonomous vehicles or even right. electric cars. A lot of these things are, are uh, for micromobility, were just pieces that were off the shelf. And this is the, the idea of tinkering with something and kind of, you know, jury rigging it and putting and hacking it and, and cobbling things together is where, where the greatest innovations come from as opposed to something that's more of a moonshot. And certainly there are great, great, technologies that came out that way but it was it was like you know uh, i would say not disruptive innovations more sustaining innovations that were requiring giant leaps in technology and mm. and you know if you think about um we, we we know about the internet and we know about the transistor we know about the microprocessor but when you when you look at back in history and you say well the internet was not the first networking idea and there were actually many others the, the the internet was was put together by people who sort of were hacking around trying to get a, a sort of a, a non-traditional or unorthodox internet technology going is this, this idea of mm. packetizing yeah. things and having things routed by themselves around obstacles and dealing with situations which were uncommon. It was put together, again, from the bottom up in the sense, right? People tinkering with the ideas and not having to make the giant leaps that IBM and digital equipment and others in the early years had to make with networks, which were yeah. about reliability and, you know, having manufacturing, rely, rely upon this stuff. And you go again, over and over again, the microprocessor, Intel's microprocessor, was in grave contrast to the processors of the day. They were not microprocessors, but they were processors of, of massive scale and large integration that, micro, that, that again, IBM would put together and, 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 and run at huge speeds and Cray would put together and, and, and others were making these motherboard-sized processors. These were not on a single chip, but they were very powerful and they ran big, big computers. And, and so the idea of putting it all on the single chip was very much a small company idea. So anyway, mm. it, just two examples. Yeah, there was something that really interesting as well, which came up as I was thinking about it, which is, <clears throat> so this, this concept that uh, uh, I think 
as you say, I think it was Steve Jobs who said they'll remake the cities around this vehicle. Was um, was actually was Steve that- was pretty negative on the product. He just he he just he I. Th- as I recall, maybe he did say that, but I think I, he also he also said that he, he didn't think this the product spoke a design or language that was like called would cause people to you know as he put it sort of crap their pants. It, it, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't that great as he would say. Yeah, you know. I agree. I I mean, there's something kind of uh, almost uh, comical about it. I, one of the one of the things that has come up in the last little while uh, as they as they announced that it had, it had died was someone. Um, so Paul Blart Mall Cop, um, apparently they rolled him out to do the, um, the, the, what do they call it, patrol car for NASCAR. And they had him on the track driving around as he sort of drove past the audience, pumping his fists mm-hmm. on his Segway. And it was just, a, you know, it was the ultimate butt of all jokes. Um, it just really made, you know. It just, well, it the Mall cool. Cop, the mall, I actually saw that movie. I don't see a lot of movies, but somehow I managed yeah. to see that movie. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was, it became... Uh, it became a sad joke, but it was, it was, um, and I kept thinking to myself, I remember really struggling with the idea of like, it's got to find some niche market that's useful, you know, that, that can yes. cause some, some, uh, you know, it was, was it going to be tourism? Was it going to be mailmen? I remember mailmen actually, or mail person or the delivery person, they ordered a bunch of these to test and, and ruggedized versions, or even people were thinking about military applications. But it never, it never, you know, these. Whenever you start to find answers more in the in the B two B world, and it's kind of a little bit problematic because they pull the mm. product in the direction that makes it more expensive, more rugged, more you know uh, having a and very still doesn't peculiar for infrastructure or anything else as well yeah that was the part that really got me was um if you say that you're going to remake the city around this thing you need to have many of them and if it if it's a six or ten thousand dollar price point then you're not going to be able to get that that flood of of users i think the interesting thing about scooters and why they've captured the imagination is not only that the vehicles themselves were that cheap but that you shift the business model so that the consumption is on a three or five or ten dollar ride and so all of a sudden it's very hard to ignore ten thousand people riding scooters kind of blitzing it around the place and annoyingly on the road or on the footpath Whereas if you're riding around and you're one person on a Segway or two people on a Segway, you're just like a lone moron. And, and there were there were learning issues, there were balance issues, there were recharging, yeah. you know, charging issues and range issues, a lot of things. But again, we can all, in retrospect, say there were lots of things wrong with it. But I think it's important to realize that version one of a lot of things fails, and in fact, the invention we saw there, which was a balancing system. Ended up again going into the 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 hoverboard, but but some of the benefits of small motors and and battery power in a vehicle, if it reconfigured correctly, was actually the right idea. And it's somewhat mm. it, it's somewhat it's somewhat you know the other person that comes to mind in this space uh, as an inventor driven business is Dyson. Dyson mm. was a guy who, in you know, had a new way of building a vacuum cleaner, and and his products uh, were very successful. By the way, the other one I can think of is Brompton. Brompton, both are British, by the way. Brompton mm-hmm. has this great design for folding bike. It's very iconic and and has had its niche for a long time. It's probably the best 
folding bike ever made. I'd love having one. I ha- I it's the one thing I don't have. I have I have a folding bike or two actually, um, but they're not Bromptons, and I I I, I sense how how uh, you know inadequate they are. Um, but the 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 thing that the thing that when you look at Dyson and you look at Brompton. They they did create businesses worth probably tens of not hundreds of millions maybe I mean in the case of of um, of Dyson maybe a billion dollars or more but I mean no no he's the he's the second richest Briton exactly so so yeah. uh, in the billions right so mm-hmm. well, we, we, and then he turned his attention also towards an electric car but then abandoned the effort I don't know what happened that story hasn't been told yet but the the problem with with some of the th- thinking and, and before him there was remember there was the guy and this was another pe- people are joke about micromobility failures but this was um this other english inventor who who did uh, the sinclair oh, sinclair c1 that yes. was i saw one i i remember walking down a street in dublin and i saw one and i went into the shop and i said you have a sinclair c1 and <laughs> the guy said you're the only person who knows what the other says you're clearly a it micromobility is, it, nerd <laughs> But it was they're they're terrible. They're absolutely useless. <laughs> Back in the mid '80s, I think it was when when this came out. The idea was that you know he was a pioneer in 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 microcomputers, right? He made a very yeah. small, um, uh, very small cheap computer that was moderately successful in the UK, and he wanted to then turn his attention, as people do. Again, this is this is yet another inventive mind who understands something about the demand of of short distances it, the allure of short distances if i may yeah so he mm-hmm. you know he turns attention and built this this sit down vehicle that had a tiny motor and a tiny battery and and it it, it just tiny wheels and just was supposedly going to revolutionize mobile you know mo- urban mobility but it didn't because again it was underpowered it was underdeveloped and and there were many odd things about it um but it the looked thing, like a dodgem for, for for anybody who's trying to think about what this thing looks like yeah i don't well. know what they're called yeah. in the in other you know it's like these bumper cars i think the americans yeah, call them yeah. yeah so it 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 but less stable and less protected than that even so um uh, there were there are some of these great inventors and also people who make velomobiles which are which are you know recumbent bicycles with with fairings on them which look uh look look uh, very uh, uh, outlandish and but they're remarkably efficient actually if you if you look at the numbers those things are are astronomically efficient uh, uh because the the biggest issue with biking is is drag and if you remove that then there's almost no rolling resistance and so you you end up getting some of the best numbers in the world as far as you know distance per uh, calorie spent um so mm-hmm. the the thing is that a lot of these ideas are great and they're the the, the product of people really thinking through what the solutions could be but it isn't coupled with a business model that, and the distribution logic and a, a way to get people to use it that, that resonates and then allows you actually to tweak it in a way that finally re, you know, goes to the next, uh, the next group of uh, adopters and, and so on and so on. You know, when Jeffrey Moore wrote the, uh, the seminal book on, on the cross, crossing the chasm, which is actually itself based on the diffusion of innovations work, which was done by uh, a man by the name of uh, uh, Rogers, 
um, w when you look at that, you, you realize that there are these early, early inventions which, which cause some people to buy them, but they need development before they get bought by the majority. And in, in, in making the switch and the necessary changes to the product to make it appeal to the majority, often you have to give up the very things that the early people like about the product. So in other mm. words, there's this, this is why it's called a chasm. So there's a chasm in between the, the, the first 10% or so, uh, the, the early adopters, and the, and, the, and the early majority. There's a chasm in, in terms of the, the strategy of the company, its marketing, its messages, its, its the way it addresses the market. And the, his point was when he wrote that book back in the 90s, his point is that companies and technology particularly need to be able to pivot their business during in order to cross that chasm. In other words, they have to go from an early adopter mentality to a mainstream mentality. And that means often, you know, it, it, it's in the way you communicate, but it's also in the way you, you design the product to make it appeal to and to broader and broader audience. And this is one of the pitfalls that that engineering-led companies that develop products early on simply, you know, think that if you build it, they will come. But it's not. If you develop it and develop it and develop it and polish it, they will come. This is what Apple does. I think it's a good segue now to talk about Apple. But if you if yeah. you think about the 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 analogy that Steve Jobs used was that you know you polish and polish and polish. The trick is to have the version one still be attractive to some people who are even willing to pay more than average or more than the later prices for something that is unfinished, which is unpolished, and yet, mm -hmm. and yet they subsidize effectively the polishing that needs to happen so that more people can get it. And this is this idea of sort of almost, you know, and Tesla does this too, sort of like getting the early adopters to yeah. finance the late adopters. And, and and that's that's an interesting thing because I always point out that there is a value that early adopters bring um, besides cash. It's that they are they are the, first of all, why do they do it? It's not just an ego thing. It's possibly because being early allows you to learn something that that the majority will learn later. So actually, you can be a part of this industry. You can evolve with it. You can actually take that uh, that product, that tool, and gain a competitive advantage for a period of time before the ma mainstream gets it. So it, it's very, mm -hmm. very, they're not doing it altruistically. They're not doing it egotistically. They're doing it very pragmatically in, you know, in terms of being an early adopter. Um, it's, an, it's not foolishness. A lot of people who are later adopters laugh at the early adopters and saying, aha, you paid too much and you, you got a rough version. But there's there's a very big pride and also there's a very big benefit that that you for, people tend to forget about that. So I don't want to I don't want I, 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 I don't to dismiss their value as simply foolish, you know, uh, ego egomaniacs. But the the thing about the the Apple process here is the is the one of you know first of all coming into a market usually after the very early, early adopters. The earliest adopters actually are not even called that. They're called innovators. And this was the name yeah. that, that Rogers used. And it applies to about 2% of the population. And the next tranche, the next group was roughly about 
and that would be so the earliest. So you're saying in the so in the co- in the curve of diffusion, you have two percent as early adopters, and they're the people who will buy the beta product equivalent, and then there's thirteen percent of these. I forget the exact number. Early. Some some teens uh, is the next group, which are really technically the early adopters, and then this these first two together are are the ones that are separated from the the early majority and the late majority which are with the, through a chasm which is considered to be this very difficult and precarious jump that needs to happen so the but mm. the but after the early majority that group which is about again about 35% would end up making 50% total right as you as you cross through the early majority you get to 50 as you cross through the second uh, or late majority, uh, you get to about uh, eighty-five or so, and then mm. and then the laggards are the last fifteen or so, uh, and the laggards roughly are symmetric with the earlies plus the the the, the super earlies or the the innovators, right? So those those yeah, groups of you. about fifteen, fifteen on either side of the of the bell curve, and then in the the chunks in the middle, which are about thirty. To 30 to 35 percent each are are the 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 major uh, um, the, that's where the meat of the money is made you don't make money on laggards because t- technically mm-hmm. they they are uh, the the product is commoditized at that time is a highly competitive environment but generally the idea is that the stock and everything else booms during the uh, right after the chasm is crossed and so the, mm. the, the this is what you know I've studied and looked at the adoption curves of over 100 products. Actually, about about 140. I've looked at the the rate of, of adoption for many many technologies in history, and um, and, and the, the, I had a, as a puzzle for a long long time as to why some things are faster than others. You know, what what determines the rate of adoption? And um, and the point about Apple, I just to bring it back a little bit, was that Apple typically does not jump into a market at zero. You know, they don't invent the product, and many people say, "Well, that's not; they're not being innovative." But that's nothing to do with innovation. Innovation is adoption, not mm. invention. Invention is eureka. Innovation is Henry Ford. Here it is for everybody, right? Here's a way to get this thing in mass production and find a way to distribute it at a little price, and then get everyone to to use the damn thing. So that's that was wasn't the, the whole story about the iPad that apparently some Steve Jobs had been to a dinner somewhere and somebody from Microsoft was on about the tablet and he, he like, got he, he supposedly like, I'm yeah. I just want to show you how to do it. You know, there's a lot of these things which I tend to take with a grain of salt. I mean, it makes for a great story and anecdote, but the fact is that. I'm sure there were people who were pitching him internally and had been doing a lot of research and had also probably seen what was going on in the 90s in that space before even Microsoft joined. And there are people who are sensing and smelling what's going on out there who, you know, and, and, and they, have, they have, they work on these things on the, on the sly, if you will, and have something in, 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 uh, in, in the wings waiting just in case Steve would have this this moment of like, okay, I want, because I'm sure he also gets pitched a lot of stuff and usually just says no. And then something triggers him or triggered him to say, okay, did they think that now he would have, he wouldn't have made the claim that we're going to, we're going to beat Microsoft if he hadn't already probably seen some inkling that, that someone inside the company had been working on this. Um, and, and for that reason, I think that is another thing about Apple is that they do a huge amount of R&D, but it's all meant to sort of get them 
aware of what can be done. This is why they are doing glasses. They are doing, I suppose, a bike. They are doing um, various, various, uh, you know, probably a ring. Uh, you know, like a smart ring. They're probably doing mm -hmm. these things that we think of as, as really, really cool. But they try these, they test these, they, they work, they, they, they ask themselves all kinds of questions of how it would be to, to interact with these things, how it would be to, to and what would, what would Apple's role would be in the business to, to build these things, what, should they do it, and so on and so on. So Johnny Ive said this a long time ago, that they say no to a thousand things and you always ask themselves does does something deserve to exist and that's just not just in a general sense but i think also should apple i think this was more tim cook's observation is like apple doesn't just do it because it's cool or it deserves to be to exist i think they do it because also they can control it they can they can make sure that they have uh, a, an apple level of of integration with it because you see the the problem historically for apple has been if they do come out with something really fantastic it's easily copied but if you but if as long as they can control aspects of the product's improvements then the trajectory belongs to them so the the the, the challenge would be that it has to be tricky to do it has to be tricky yeah. To develop and so for the example in the case of the watch it's not just that is it is you know it, it much more so than let's say the ipod the ipod was much more easily copied and the way they went in no in order to make it less copyable is they miniaturized miniaturized and miniaturized and that was the thing that, that forced a lot of people to step out because they couldn't keep up with that with that rate of change they could maybe do hard drive ipods but they couldn't do flash ipods because i flash ipods you know they cornered the market on flash and they couldn't get enough of the, the parts and so on and so on so that was one technique that apple used to control the ipod but when you look at the watch it's just so darn hard that, that the, there's a there's a proprietary chip in there there's a proprietary screen technology so so to the extent that someone can try to replicate the entire watch experience is really really hard so that, that's yeah. the, the you know and there's an os that they built themselves and then all these other things so the the point I'm okay. Let's step back. I love, this isn't the critical path. <laughs> this is. This is the, if you want yeah. to hear more, tune into the critical path. We're going to do yes. a deep dive as usual. But the, the the we want to talk about micromobility here. Is that okay? Suddenly worlds collide. To use uh, George Costanza's phrase, worlds collide. Mm -hmm. So you have Apple, and and this keynote actually sort of almost opening the kimono, as it were, a little bit to reveal a little bit of micromobility sensitivity. Um, th this has been in several ways. One, they actually feature the, uh, a scooter in their, in their keynote. And I think it wasn't the first time even. But no, no. So they'd done, they'd, they'd done Bird with Apple Pay. This one was the, the use of their little, what they call, was it a Snap app? Is that what it was? Uh, I think it was the? called... Um, um, app Clips or something like that. Clips, yes. This, clips. Yeah, Clips. And it's, it's the idea of uh, you walk up to a scooter and you don't need to download the entire app. It just downloads the sort of the smaller part and then you can hop on, use the right. scooter and without Right, and you can trigger that to... through NFC. You can trigger that through yeah. a QR code. You can trigger that with an Apple-designed proprietary uh, coding uh, visual uh, sticker or something like that. Or, and I forget, there are all all bunch of ways of you, a number or something like that. But basically, you, what you do with a clip is that you download a sort of a a a, a uh, mini version of the app, 
that gets you going. And 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 that that these clips are neat because it onboards people much more quickly as in, in brick to more you know brick and mortar type establishing establishments right so you so it's 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 about where you are in outside as opposed to or maybe even online but but it's more more something that you can do with low bandwidth in in um you know one of the things about apps people forget is that it, it, usually you don't uh, they're heavy downloads and takes time and on cellular can be can be expensive as well so uh, so that's what clips are and an idea with clips was uh, shown again uh, with uh, with spin. spin and 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 that's a killer app if you will um, they also showed uh, a, a keyless entry for for in, uh, or rather I should say um, a key fob equivalent in uh, using mm-hmm. your iPhone to unlock a car but that can also be used to unlock a bike or a scooter so there there's something interesting there where also you can transfer the key to someone else and thus you know you move into the realm of sharing a lot easier um, mm-hmm. and and so there, there's there's those are two interesting things for mobility's sake um, and the third was that I could course, see a cooperative emerging on top of that, you know, like a small, say for example, you had a, uh, I, I think about something like bond, for example, where you've got, uh, and one of the, one of the ideas that I really liked, uh, that Corin brought up when we interviewed her for Smide back before it became bond was that she said, we, we had people invest in the company who also were the users and we gave them discounted rides. And so there was an interesting business model around that, but the idea of a cooperative model where, you could only you can only use the bikes if you're a member. Um, Absolutely. So, so conceptually, I think is actually really interesting. I think um, and and you but to make that tech work at the moment is relatively high friction. But I could see something like that emerging out, which is like, you know, yeah, you've bought a share into this thing, so you you've got skin in the game to be able to use this thing, and that's how we give you a. Key, it's you know? it's it's enabling. It certainly is an enabling technology for new models of of transfer of ownership and sharing. The other thing, of course, is we should talk about is that they implemented um, maps with with uh, directions for cycling, which are a huge thing. Of course, obviously, it should have happened early, but again, Apple's not usually the first. But it, in this case. At at a, you know at the cusp of the micromobility adoption curve, they're in there you know at the two percent three percent level, when you know we're about to ramp up globally the the you know the number of people using micro in general. And I think that that um, I you know Google Maps certainly has had uh, cycling. I'll, I've had my my gripes with it uh, when I've used it for very long trips. It tends to not be optimal for some you know because you you want to optimize sometimes for not so much the most scenic route or the safest route or the or the let's say most uh, car free route sometimes you mm. just want to go fast and and so i i I've, I've sensed that there was there was a more of a uh assumption that people who ride were doing it for recreational reasons inside of google maps but anyway that's a that's a thing that apple's is hopefully and also Google are going to address where you get to see multiple options and select different, you know, paths based on on what your job is, you know, as far as mm. why why you're riding. Altitude. 
yeah. minimizing mi- minimizing perhaps altitude, minimizing traffic, or other other factors. Which I think in the car world, um, there you are optimizations you can think of. Like you want to have no tolls is one of the options. Uh, mm-hmm. You may you may you may want to have you know. Um, more avoid highways yeah yeah avoid highways as well so the thing I, I would i would say is that there's a lot of research potential here for for how to design discovery of of uh of directions based on you know the quality of of, of the road for micromobility or the quality of the ride for micromobility also they said that they would you know include more details like you here's where you should dismount Here's where you may have stairs, so you may need to carry across some some boundaries. Um, but anyway, overall, it's a big, big move forward for 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 Apple Maps, and I think it's it's these little things that are adding up to sort of Apple nudging its you know uh, or uh, uh, you know acknowledging the the micro mobility world. Uh, not as an early adopting uh, kind of platform, but more as a sort of like, hey, now we're past the first couple percent, and we see a need for this to go into the mainstream now, and that's that's where they've always been. So that's a positive thing. I'm very glad to see that. And uh, there's a lot more. There's tiles, which I'd like to see from Apple, uh, the equivalent mm. of tiles, which uh, are rumored. And tiles to- are this idea of uh, like utilizing the the uh the apple network well all of the vehicles that are oh, sorry the uh, the the iphones and ipads etc that are on apple and so but it's a using some sort of like low level bluetooth to be able to identify and work yeah, out where things are is that is that the kind of so the logic so the company tile who pioneered this idea I'm, i don't know if they were the first but certainly they 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 became more popular as a, as a brand um is the idea is that you have effectively effectively a little um, a little piece of plastic with, with a a um, like a keychain almost something even smaller than the the key the the thing on the keychain, um, but it it's it's it has an an NFC chip in it, um, and it has some battery usually uh, button battery a tiny battery, and that device is pingable and it sort of tells the world where it is and so if you have a phone you can find the object that has the tile attached to it. But also, not only you with your phone, but other people with tile in it, with the tile app would be able... So if you lose the object in the middle of a city, that, you know, tile-enabled phones going by that object would be able to pick up its signal and relay it to the network, and then your phone could be alerted to its location so so that however depends on there being a large number of tile running apps or t- t- um, apps running on on uh, on phones that mm-hmm. are you know the tile app so the the thing if apple were to do this you'd suddenly have a billion phones all of them sniffing if you will these these Apple tags so that they would be it would be much easier for you to find the object so that what that would do why this is such a thing with my a big deal with micro mobility is that for personal owned vehicles it would it would it would really change the the theft protection logic because if you think about mm-hmm. uh, if if that if that object normally cannot be um 
it, it could be it could be hidden. Um, it, it could be you know sewn into clothing. It could be sewn into a seat of the bike. It could be in the handlebars. Um, it, it could be somewhere where a thief would have no idea is there. Firstly and secondly, um, it would have a very long battery life, and it would probably lay dormant for for months, if not longer. Then and 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 so the person who who would want to find out where their bike was would be it would be much easier to find it. So the the it would add intelligence to the vehicle, without it having to have its own processor and so on, and and being on the network with the GPS and all those other things. It would simply be mm. very passive, and that's a powerful idea. I, I've always been um, thinking that something like that needs to to exist because phones became theft proof as soon as the right software was installed on them, right? So that so that Apple made it and, and Google made it really not worthwhile to steal a phone, right? Um, and and now we have to make that possible. So for our vehicles, which which would help a lot with adoption. So that's something to look forward to. We don't know if and when Apple would do that, but then if they did, you would have billion, would in theory a data devices. transfer be free on that network, or would they would Apple then charge a fee for that? Um, so the data goes through the so effectively if you are an iPhone owner and maybe you have to opt in I don't know but you 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 would effectively create a mesh network with uh, all the other iPhones so so already I think this exists now between Macs and 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 phones and iPads they sort of they talk to each other using for example AirDrop so that you can send you know stuff to people even if you don't know them you can send mm-hmm. them because they're nearby you and then they allow uh, allow this 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 uh, peer-to-peer networking to happen um peer-to-peer was something decades ago people were thinking about was going to revolutionize networking and never really did but it, it the, the idea is being implemented in this kind of application of file transfer but then when you do it at a nanoscale a super super small low power scale, which I think, by the way, it's not even Bluetooth. You can do it in you know, proprietary networks, very low yeah. low power. Then then objects become enabled as you know identifiable beacons, and then the, every other phone that comes within range of that beacon effectively relays information so that it goes eventually up into the cloud and then back down to the person who's requesting that information it's absolutely brilliant and of course it has to be secure and everything else which is the which is another big big uh, thing but apple's been working on making sure you, you you it has your trust on that but it it is it, it is it is a something that's really going to be very powerful for micro in in in, in the in there again because the vehicles Maybe it's a stepping stone. The vehicle itself will become much, much smarter and become a smartphone on wheels. But in the meantime, at least it can be, you know, uh, networked without the need for uh, the battery being fully charged or, or charged at all. You know, it's, it's, it's that idea of kind of always being, uh, being in the ba- in, in, in somewhat uh, accessible to, to the network. And that, that's, I, I think that's a wonderful step forward. Yeah, the the, um, the reason I, I I'm probing a little bit on this is just because uh, one of the sponsors for the podcast and and one I'm actually hoping to get on to talk is is the group Helium, who are using Low Rail WAN, which is a sort of long range 
Wi-Fi networks that have between two and 10 kilometers of range from a base station, which costs about $500, but run really low, sort of five to 20 kilobits per second. Uh, and so can enable, um, they're talking about, their interest in, in micromobility is that they're effectively building networks um, uh, of, of people and paying people to deploy these these stations but you could deploy a station you know you could deploy uh an entire network over a city like san francisco for sort of 50 or a hundred thousand dollars again and enable there's a there's it's not mesh because it's like Mm -hmm. it goes back to the base station and that's plugged in but i just you know uh, what it does is it enables you to go from having data costs on a micro mobility vehicle of sort of two or three or four dollars a month to having it be you know uh 10 cents or 20 cents um a year or 50, you know, and, and I just think that's really interesting, but, um, well, it's, you know, it's a all network part like this would compete for different things, right? So I remember similar debates about whether Bluetooth was competing with Wi-Fi. It turns out that they're actually completely separate and perfectly, um, complementary. Complimentary. Yeah. yeah. So the, the thing that I'm, I'm trying to point out is that micromobility can actually absorb all of these advances and all of these technologies, especially the cheaper ones that we're seeing, that make the network of vehicles so much better. And by the way, they will adopt these instantly. I mean, as soon as it's available, people will, will embed this technology in, in some way in micro because it's easy enough to do. You know, uh, if the price is right, you'll see adoption of ABS. You'll see adoption as they are already in e-bikes. Uh, as a safety technology, which can take much, much longer for other transportation technologies to adopt. So how long would it take for for cars to have this technology? I mean, although we mentioned the fact that there's an unlock capability in the phone, one car model was was shown to have this ready, which was a BMW 5 Series. But there's how long will it take for every car to have a phone unlocking uh, or, or equivalent uh, car key. The, the, the fact is that CarPlay today, they also mentioned this during the keynote, but CarPlay six years on is available supposedly in like 80% of all the world's new car models and some 90, 97% of all the US car models. But that means it's available on new car models as an option usually, not in every model. So the the thing that, as far as how many cars on the road that have CarPlay, it's very still very, very few, relatively speaking. I, I don't have a car that has that capability. I've rented one or two, but it's not something any of my friends, well, I don't have many friends. But anyway, the point is... <laughs> The point. Yes, you do, Horace. Yes, I do. Well, I should say, I should say, not many friends whose cars I use. Um, but the the thing is that there there it's taken years and years and years for CarPlay to sort of make an impact in the car industry, and I would expect the same for this uh, keyless technology. But in micro, yeah. we can do these things real quickly um, because, firstly, you can you can make the app on the phone which goes in the pocket of the user as they're riding the vehicle. Secondly, if you, if you want to embed this, this kind of a networking technology, it, it gets commoditized 
and it gets in the in the in the vehicle very quickly as well. So th- mm. that that's one thing that I'm very fond of. Uh, as far as the the we talked about, the faster it goes, the slower it goes. So the faster an industry, the faster the vehicle tends to be. The the slower the industry tends to be in in, in evolving. So mm-hmm. so I'm I'm really looking forward to everything that people are throwing out there and saying this is really cool technology. Great. Let's test it. Let's put it together in in a in a in a in a vehicle and see how how it actually works in the real world, and that'll happen very quickly in micro. And uh, whether it's owned or shared, um, fleets if fleets turn over rapidly, and product gets updated every six months. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and so there's a lot of there's a lot of activity out there to really cool make cool stuff. Um, okay, so so I have a question for you, which is. We oftentimes have talked about this idea that these vehicles are smartphones on wheels and that you believe that the one that turns it into a computing platform is going to be the winner. And yet what we're seeing with the cars is that the cars are turning them, as you say, as you point out, CarPlay has become a thing. It's now in 90% of vehicles. The car is almost an accessory to the smartphone. If the phones, I mean, the fact that Apple is launching apple key it's launching uh the routing directions on the phone or as part of a service from apple why does this platform play not end up being sucked up into the smartphone it could why be it could be and and, and that that is indeed a, a, a the main con- i don't want to say concern that's one of the possibilities out there i remember having this conversation with uh asaf bitterman from super pedestrian, super pedestrian. you know yeah. their logic for this for a smart bike was to have a you know smartphone app uh, ta- uh, talking to the bike, which was uh, mm-hmm. geared up with all kinds of sensors. And so, why have the interface be on the bike when you can have it in your pocket? And actually, they had a they would they would sell you a very cool mount for the phone. I had the same conversation with with Nexar. Which which said why have a smart car when you can have a smartphone and then you know you can mount the phone and the camera on uh, you know you're gonna get a third party camera and have the camera effectively through Wi-Fi connect to your phone and stream video to it so capture every everything on the phone and have that phone go into the cloud when you get home and upload your 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 uh, all that video from your ride and and that goes in a cloud and then they can do processing on it and everything else so already mm. several companies are are even doing that with cars and and with smart smart bikes and, and and e-bikes so that is a certainly like the smartest computer or the best computer is the one you have with you right the mm-hmm. best the best camera is the one in your pocket the best computer is the one in your pocket and and so really the smartphone on wheels is is effectively uh, also in your pocket. It just kind of communicates with the vehicle. Um, that's certainly possible, but the, the the logic of it would be maybe that it's a little bit more intelligent as an accessory. Okay, maybe I would say, think of it something more like the Apple Watch, which would be so integrated to the phone that it it doesn't really work without it number one number two it kind of has its own child uh apps on it and and it then it begins to take on jobs that the phone itself cannot do so in other words it took on fitness as a job and mm. and now it's taking on sleep 
and sleep monitoring as a job. So health, wellness, breathe, all these things that only it can measure because it's sensing things that you and your phone cannot sense. Now, the, what the thing would, about a vehicle is that it's going to image things that your phone can't while it's in your pocket or even if it's mounted on the bike. So the imaging capability, depending on where and how many cameras you put on it. Secondly, it's going to detect probably a lot of environmental things that, again, the phone in your pocket is never going to bother doing. So it could be an air quality monitor. It could be, uh, you know, an outside temperature monitor. Uh, you, it could be, uh, uh, you know, vibration and other th sensing that would determine, for example, the road conditions, which are important when you when you need to, again, scoop up data and, 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 and image the world and index the world. And so suddenly the vehicle plays to its strengths by, by having a suite of sensors that are ideal for, for uh, a particular job that it's trying to do. And of course, if you're riding and you're putting energy into the vehicle, as you do in an e-bike, it's going to also sense the amount of torque you're applying and therefore the amount of energy the user is expending. The same way like a, a, an exercise bike, right? And th there's an API for the exercise bike to then convey that information to the watch and the watch to the phone and the phone to the cloud that says effectively this person completed a workout and this is how much energy they used. So there's the sense of, the again, the phone, Very b remember before the Apple watch, there was a, a, a chip which would detect the amount of movement you did on your phone, but it was much worse than the watch is able to do, right? because it's also yes. the watch is sensing your heart rate. So combining motion with heart rate gets you a lot more information. And now it's also listening. It's got a microphone. It, you saw the demo where they're showing that it detects when you're washing your hands and it starts to coach you on hand washing. So the, the vehicle then suddenly plays to the strengths it has. It's on the street, it's on the road, it's, it's able to sniff the air, it's able to feel the, the pavement, it's able to feel what the rider is doing. And then it takes that information and says, okay, Mr. Smartphone or Mrs. Smartphone or Madam Smartphone, whatever. Um, mm. Here's what I know about the world and I'd like you to pay attention. And then, and then let's handshake and figure out this together. So the, 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 it becomes more like a hub. The phone becomes a hub to this accessory product, which is, begins over time to get smarter and smarter. Now, there's debates in the community, you know, in the world of Apple and wearables, to what extent will the watch become more and more independent of the phone and maybe someday effectively work completely without, as the phone was initially tethered to a PC, then it became independent. And so, yes. so the same question would arise if what if we get to watch, sorry, we have AirPods, which again are tethered and are very much child product. But mm -hmm. if, you, if you are thinking of then about wearables as, as far as you know, glasses and other things, still back in the day, Apple introduced the iPod and said that they have effectively you know, a hub system where the Mac is at the center, you have all these accessories around it, including iPod, including um, uh, speakers and other things. And so what, what over time, they kind of put them all next to each other saying they're all equal. Now with wearables, we're back to this hub with accessories. So the hub is the, is the phone, however, it has all these accessories. But again, will these eventually all become more peer 
peer to, uh, to, to each other, peers to each other. And so the same thing is that this, the, the micro vehicle should have pride of place on this spectrum of, of things that talk to phones, but over time it gets smarter and smarter because it can get smarter and then it decides more and more. Again, this is, let's assume this, we're, we sort of have our Apple hats on right now because we're, we're, sure. we're, we're talking about it as, I, as I, if I it was in an Apple else, ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I guess in some ways what you're saying is that it's going to start out as, as um, you know, a subject of the phone. And in that regard, it's a... Yeah, and there's um, nothing to be ashamed of. Don't do, do not be alarmed if the smartphone on wheels ends up being effectively an accessory to a smartphone. But I'm saying over time, because of Moore's Law, because chips have become embedded, because of, inter you know, internet network effects and all these other things, it's inevitable that the intelligence propagates into the vehicle. And to the extent that it's more or less dominant and, and central to uh, as a computing platform, it's going to be a question of evolution. It's not a, it's not a determinable question right now, but it is, it is something that over time will gradually evolve. So it, it, let, let's just be modest in the beginning and humble and then assume over time that we're just going to get better. That's that's the best way to think th things through. You know, I tend to sort of see see something way out there, and then people say, "Well, the first step in that journey." So you're going, you know, far away. But the first step on that journey is not in the direction you thought it was going. And maybe even the second or third step seem to be going off in a tangent. Well, perhaps so, but maybe we'll come back to the the path. Maybe we'll get to this final destination through a very circuitous route. But mm. that's the, that's where where I would say you you don't have to have that long term vision. You can be just step you know worried about the next step every single moment, which is fine. That's the survival. That's the way you you really um, survive. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I get it. I I guess. And just in some ways, you know, if I think about how much time you actually spend traveling, you know, these vehicles are what going to be used. Uh, no more than an hour a day. That's what Marquette yeah, exactly. tells us. Yeah, like right? exactly, right? So you've got something that's used 4 or 5% of the time versus something that ends up being used the majority of the time. And yes, you could you could um, offload, you know, that I could see that that can become its own computing platform because it's be used 4% of the time. And especially if it ends up being shared, so it's used, you know, it actually has a utilization rate of 30 or 40 or 50% of the time. And that is where it gets interesting. Um, here's and, the interesting thing, though. I mean, you can say the watch, I'm wearing it always, every minute I'm, I'm awake, but I don't really use it more than a couple of seconds at a time. So if you were to sum up all the moments that I actually look at my watch, it, it would be maybe 10, 15 minutes, no more. Uh, but it, it's listening all the time. This is another funny mm. thing about about the watch is that it, it, I'm using it in in a in a in a direction opposite to normal. Normally, you think that the, the the device should be talking to me; it should be showing me something. But I'm talking to it all the time, either because I am talking or it's listening to my movements. It's listening to sure. my heart heartbeat. Now that means that there's a difference in terms of what we think of as screen time and utility time. Compute when when things are ambient. So. 
this is what people talk about ambient computing. I don't know if you heard that phrase, but basically the idea is like computers are not necessarily in your face all the time. There's there's real sort of background. Same with the smart speakers or smart, I call them smart microphones, but, but these listening devices that also, you know, that that also somehow you can talk to, and 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 so those are that's ambient computing, and so. Uh, is something like that, therefore, because it isn't used, you use Alexa maybe a couple of times a day, a few seconds, um, is that therefore not an important product? I think the way the way these vehicles, being infrastructure, fundamentally today, we still only think of them, okay, they're either on or off. And then when they're on, they're in use. And when they're off, they're, 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 they're idle. But the fact might be that because, again, because of the sensing, because of the other things that they have on board because of imaging, they actually could be more like ambient computing. And so they could be there absorbing information, you know, as part of a fleet, they could be watching and listening. And remember my, my, my other sort of futurist-like thing I say, which is that if it really does a good job, it's actually going to move away from utility and even away from miles to smiles, right? Away from just making you feel happy, but it might change fundamentally the logic of transportation going from knowing where you're going to maybe having you discover new places to go and, um, and therefore uh, doing what the internet did to, to information and communication, which is acting as an agent of discovery and acting as an agent of redirection. I mean, fundamentally, mm. this is what Google does, right? If you think about it. So, so I, 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 you know, we tend to say Google is evil if, if they do ads. But what ads do fundamentally is they let you discover things that you didn't think you needed. Number one, which mm. people get annoyed, but hey, that's that's uh, that, that's driven economics for a long time. Secondly. It's the idea of like you think you want something, so you search, but you actually are given options which, which may be different than what you thought, right? So you, you, you're redirected. So these idea of discovery and redirection are key to value adding on the, on, on the internet as far as, as what really underpins both Google and Facebook today. Right, the advertising mm, model, mm. and and so it, it is in in, in some ways, uh, this is a positive spin on 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 I'm putting on these companies because they do create value in a sense, right? Um, so the question should be for micro, and not only is it something that's efficient and fun and and intelligent for the one hour a day, but can they actually help us live better? And this is fundamentally about more like okay. Uh, do I want to go? Do I want the network to tell me where to go? Or by by using this type of vehicle, I'm actually reducing. Uh, it, 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 the cost may be so low in terms of dollars per mile to be effectively free. In which mm. case, I might actually take trips I wouldn't have taken, and I might go places I wouldn't have gone, and my life could be a lot richer. This is about really trying to say, hey, uh, this is the, the magic carpet that enables more. And, and by the way, the card did that. The card did that where we know it, it gave us the option to do things that we didn't think we wanted initially. 
um, and it created infrastructure and it did all the things. So all I'm saying is nothing more than what's already been done, but it 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 would do it in a much more sustainable way. And uh, and that's the dream beyond, again, beyond uh, a smartphone on wheels. It would be the internet on wheels. Mm. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, the internet on wheels, I want to know what that feels like because there's plenty of wonderful things about the internet. There's also plenty of terrible things about the internet, but that's a conversation that we'll have to have on a separate day. Um, look, uh, thank you, Horace, as always. Uh, great to, great to, uh, to chat with you about these things. You bet. <laughs>